Oh, my goodness. Well, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here today. Now, now if, there, if there's nobody sitting next to you or you had to kind of stretch across the uh, pew to see somebody, that's a good cue for you to bring somebody to church next week. Amen? Isn't that true? All right. So uh, if you don't, who, who does not know who I am? Let me see. Anybody in the house? Oh, yes. We've got a couple here. So I'm going to introduce myself real quick, uh, and then we'll get into things today. My name is Pastor Kylan, and I have been with Only Believe, I think, probably like 26 years now, which is more than half my life. So don't start to do the calculations there uh, about how old I am. But I've been here for a long time. Uh, was a youth pastor here for a long time. I've served in some different capacities. Currently, right now, I pastor uh, the Urbana campus, uh, only believe. And by the way, the Urbana campus says hello, and uh, they send their greetings and amazing things. Great things are happening at the church there. The church is growing, and lots of great things are happening. So anyways, uh, I, I was asked to come here today and share the word, and we got the church over there covered. But I'm excited to be with you, and uh, it's always good to come back here. Whenever I come back, um, I feel like I'm slipping on an old pair of shoes that feel real comfortable, they're real broken, you know, it feels good, they stink a little bit. I'm kidding, but um, I'm kidding. But it's good to be back. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all love summer? Let me see. Who's, who's the big? It's over. It's over. So uh, it's, it's done. It was done yesterday. I hate to tell you that. Um, but get, get your jackets out, your mittens, your beanies. You know, I, I, I called that as a kid a beanie, but uh, fall is here. I love all the seasons, by the way. I, I'm, I love all the seasons, but the burr months, September, October, November, December, are my favorite months of the year. So I, I'm in my glory right now. So summer people, just come along and enjoy it anyways. Amen? But anyhow, it is good to see you today. But I do want to say something real quick before we, we get the Bibles out and get into the Word. If you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Um, let me tell you something. I believe in you and the pastoral staff of this church believes in you. Now, you may say, but you don't know me. That's okay. I believe in you because I believe in God. And I know what God has said about you. So, so here's the deal. If you've been struggling, press on. You're going to get there. If you've been struggling with your marriage, that happens. Okay. Press on. You're going to get there. If one of your kids is acting crazy, I get it. I had kids. Press on. You're going to get there. If you've been in a financial season where it's been some struggle, okay, that happens. Press on, because the God who knows you is with you and has not left you, and he's not going to, and he will see you through. Amen. So be encouraged today. If you don't, if you don't remember anything else I say the rest of our time together this morning, I want you to leave encouraged. I believe in you. This church believes in you, and God is with you. Amen? All right, so tell your neighbor you're going to be all right. Let them know. You're going to be all right. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles today, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, they, they've asked me to come today and begin a new series that I think is going to be for about three weeks here on the church. They wanted me to come talk about the church. And actually, we can title the series. They, they put a graphic up there. Uh, title the series Together because that's what the church is. The church is together. The church is, one way you can think about it, in this together, growing together, helping one another, because Jesus is with us. 
Amen. We're to do this whole thing together. One way the Bible talks about the church is it, uh, it's called the body of Christ. So there's three different ways you can see the body of Christ in Scripture. The first way is literally the body of Jesus. He was God in flesh. Amen. We get Christmas. Jesus is born. God has come to save the world. I'm thankful for that. So the body of Jesus was the literal body of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a nice story, but God really came. Amen. He was the paradox of the Christian faith. He was fully man and he was fully God. God in flesh on this earth. So that's the first way we think about the body of Jesus. The second way we think about the body of Jesus is in, in communion. That we partake together. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So at times together we, we take and, and partake of, of the bread and we partake of the cup in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul writes that we always do that with in mind. We proclaim his death until he comes again because we believe he's coming again physically. Amen. And when he comes, he's going to make all things new. You realize every time you partake of communion, you proclaim that. So, uh, and by the way, when you think about communion, why do we actually do that? Why do we literally eat of the bread and literally drink of the cup? Because Jesus was literally here in body. It's a, it's a great reminder of that. So the body of Jesus, his, his literal body, uh, symbolically that we find it in communion but another way we see the body of Christ in the scriptures, we find in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you go there, 1 Corinthians 12, and verse number 12, it says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For... In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Now jump all the way down to verse 27. Now you, turn to the person next to you and say you. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So how many ever noticed that Jesus is not here in body form right now? As the scriptures testify, he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power and everything given to him and all things under his feet. Good news is that he sent the Holy Spirit to us, right? The comforter, the counselor. But those who are in him, those who have been saved, those who are followers of Jesus, we literally now are the embodiment of Jesus on this earth as the Holy Spirit resides in us. We are the body of Christ. Amen. And the wonderful thing about that is the church, and the church gathering together, but not just being here in the building together, but as we go, we are those who are representatives of the kingdom of God on this earth. So, the church, the body of Christ is you, but it's bigger than you. The church, the body of Christ is us together, but it's bigger than us together. As a matter of fact, the body of Christ is wherever Jesus is present within us. And that's everywhere, by the way. See, transition from what we find in the Old Testament into the New Testament is no longer was there a specific promised land that we pray for Israel. There was no longer a, a temple that we need to go to, to uh, sacrifice and where the presence of God resided. 
but it transitioned to all who would believe no matter where you are in, throughout the entire world. Amen. As a matter of fact, uh, I think I got Nick back there. Is that Nick? My good buddy Nick's going to help me today. You know, you, by the way, do you know the teams that serve your church do an amazing job? The media team and the, those on the cameras, the worship team, kids' church, greet. Let's all give them a hand because they just do an amazing job. Now, now, usually the media guy like Nick, when things go wrong, everybody just kind of looks back at Nick. And what's wrong with you, Nick? But Nick does an amazing job. And he's going to help me out today. So he's got a graphic for me. Uh, it, it, maybe it's a little hard to see. This is uh, Christian by continent. This is 2020. It's a little age. But I want you to see this. And it talks about the worldwide body of Christ. In North America, there are 268 million people who claim Christianity as their faith. But look at Latin America, 612 million. Look at Africa, 667 million people claim Christianity. Europe, you see that? Christianity is worldwide. And we're part of that body. You realize that the United States of America does not own Jesus. I'm going to let that sink in. I love my country, but I don't own Jesus. Jesus is worldwide. You can take me today and, and put me in Africa amongst a gathering of believers, and I'm with my brothers and sisters in Jesus because the body's worldwide. And you can take me right there and put me in Brazil and put me among a gathering of believers, and I'm with my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen. Then, then you take me, you put me in Pakistan, and we have a team going to Pakistan this week. We're going to pray for them at the end of service. Put me in Pakistan, and I'm with a, a gathering of believers. I'm with my brothers and sisters in Jesus. The worldwide church is literally the worldwide church. It's you, but it's much bigger than you. Amen. By the way, the worldwide church, because of that, you, you realize how diverse it is? You see that? It's diverse. As a matter of fact, let me, let's read uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and uh, verse number 27. Again, we're just laying some foundation about the church today. But I want you to get these things in your heart. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... That's, a, that's a, a fancy way of talking about your salvation. Now watch this. There is neither, those who are in Jesus, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Heirs according to promise. And that's talking about uh, the promise to Abraham and the vision that to count the stars and, and so shall your descendants be. That's us. The Christian faith crosses all ethnicity because in him there's neither Jew nor Greek. The Christian faith wrecks social boundaries because there's neither slave nor free. And even brings us all on one level, male and female. That's where Paul said. Do you realize that Paul was very progressive in his time because he said things like this? He was saying, those of you that are in Jesus were all brought to the same place. We're equal in him. Nobody has got ownership of Jesus 
Nobody can claim to be Jesus' favorite. We're all in this together. That's the worldwide body of Christ. Amen. And you see it that way. But yet here we are gathered locally. A local body of believers come together in the name of Jesus because we believe. We are the body of Christ as individuals, but we're the body of Christ as we meet together. Now, now a couple things about this. So Ephesians chapter 1, jump over to another epistle of Paul. Ephesians chapter 1, let's establish some authority here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 And he put all things under his, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him head over all things to the what? Church. Which is what? His body. In the fullness of him who fills all in all. The head of the church is the pastor. Nope. The head of the church is is the board. Nope. The head of the church is, is the deacons and the elders. Nope. The head of the church is who? Jesus. Jesus is the center as he is the all in all for us. Amen. And here's the amazing thing about the church, and I want you to get this in your heart today. As as Jesus was talking uh, to Peter after Peter made this great revelation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he looked at Peter and said, Peter, on this rock, and he's talking about the revelation of who he is, I will build my what? My church, the body of believers. And notice what he said after it. I want you to catch this. And the gates of hell, of destruction, of loss, of separation from God for eternity, will not prevail against it. Now, That was a pretty lame response to that. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Good. How how many of you are saved? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Are you his church? Amen. Quit being scared of the world. Why are, you, why are you worried? Oh, my gosh, you don't understand what's going on? I understand what's going out there. I see the news. I see stuff. I'm not in denial. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why are you so scared? We well, understand all this transgenderism stuff. Okay. But why are you so scared? You understand what they're trying to do and all? Well, I do, I do, I see it. I'm not dumb. But greater is he that's in me than what you see going on out there. That is why the church is not called to lock our doors, pull the shades down, and hide from the world. Our job is to be equipped when we come together. Then when we go, we take the gospel to the world. And we've got to change our mindset. I'm not worried about hiding from the world. I'm worried about taking the gospel to them. Because the stuff is happening, and that means they need Jesus. Let's not be scared, church. You are being built in ways you probably don't understand because God moves in mysterious ways. I saw this yesterday. Hey, uh, we know the Lord moves in mysterious ways. 
but you don't have to, so use your blinker when you're driving. Anyway, that's another story. Um, God, God is building you in ways beyond your comprehension, most likely. Amen. You probably are stronger than you think. You probably have, have progressed more than you know. Jesus is building you, and he's building us together. So let's not be scared of the world. Let's go into the world with boldness. If you can't go into the world because you're scared of being susceptible to sin, that's not a world problem, that's not a Jesus problem, that's a you problem. We are called to go into the world and share the gospel of Jesus. That's the job of the church when we're not physically together. Amen. But Jesus is our head, and he is building us into what he intends us to be. So I want to give you a little definition here. And this is a slide. So Nick, if you want to put that first slide up. The church is the baptized community around the world learning to live the Jesus way together. That's what the church is. That's what one, there's a lot of different ways you can probably uh, put a definition on the church. But this is one I'd like to roll with a little bit today. The church is the baptized community, baptized. Now, now I want to tell you something. Altar calls are wonderful. I'm going to do one at the end of church today. But we, we, we sort of replaced the public confession of our faith with an altar call, not water baptism, but scripturally the public confession of faith is water baptism. We publicly confess our faith by old man coming out, new man, and people watching, and this is my confession of what has happened inwardly, and those who see it say, now I'm going to help you live this. That's what baptism is all about. The baptized community in Jesus, because Jesus is the head and Jesus is the center, a community together, and as we're together, we learn to live the Jesus way together. In other words, we're being equipped. And when we're not together, then we are the body of Christ in the world. In other words, when we're not together, we are the intentional presence and the intentional witness of the kingdom of God as we're in society. That's another way you can put it. In other words, Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit's with us, now we are his hands and feet as we go. We've been baptized into him. We're learning to live his ways together, that when we go out, we are lights in our world. That's the church. So the church is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? So Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God with the things that he taught and the things that he did. The kingdom of God is really the prayer of Jesus that he taught us to pray on earth as it is where? Why? Because that's the authority of God establishing reign and rule on the earth. So the Bible says the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. Why? Why? Because you, you're saved. The reign and rule of God should be happening in your life. That's why you're a citizen of the kingdom. You should be learning the ways of that kingdom. Right? But then the kingdom of God swirls around us. Right? Because there's signs that accompany the kingdom. And we're supposed to take the kingdom to the world. In other words, another way of sharing the gospel. We are the embodiment of the kingdom of God as we live in the world. Now, now here, there's a question uh, I guess you could be asked. So if that's the case, 
if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough testimony against you to be convicted? Think about that. If I'm really the embodiment of the kingdom of God as I go into the world, is it it really uh, something people can notice and see and know about me? Because I'm not closeted in my faith. I'm not scared of what's around me. But I live in such a way that is evident that though I'm a citizen of this wonderful country, uh, the citizenship that, that uh, kind of overrides that whole deal is my citizenship in heaven and the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Amen. That's the church. That we gather together, we learn together, we grow together, then we take what we learn out into the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know that guy. Um, you can check him out, look him up. He, he's a theologian uh, that was in Germany. He was resistant to the uh, Nazi movement. Uh, had, had left for a time period, then, then went back. He, he was uh, among those that were of the last people that the, the Nazis um, uh, killed right before uh, um, the war ended. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes some amazing things. And, and one thing he said is so true is he said, Christ in his church is the sum of the apostles' teachings. In other words, you, you go through what the church started to teach after the ascension of Jesus, and it points back how Christ is working among us in order to send us. So church is not a nice, neat gathering of people where we keep the world out. Church is a nice, neat gathering of people that says, if you want to come join us, we're going to tell you about Jesus. But then when we go, we take him to the world. That's our calling. So we come together simply because we believe. We hold common beliefs about Jesus. We practice the sacraments that have been given to us, baptism and communion. We worship together. We learn together. We grow together. We are in this together. By the way, the faith that we have received, we didn't make it up, and we, don't, we aren't supposed to try to make it up. We've received it. We have a history. We live in it. And, and then the best thing we can do is, is pass it on to the generations coming behind us. Amen. Now, one thing the church is not, and if you've been around the church for a long time, you know this, the church is not a museum of perfected saints. Yeah. But it's still a place that you belong. Though we're not perfect, the church should be seen more like a family than an organization. Because we're the body of Christ. We're, we're adopted into him. We're a family, brothers and sisters in Jesus. How, how many of you are old enough back in the day when you came to church and you called people brother and sister? Anybody remember that? Yeah. We are brothers and sisters together, a family of faith, though we are, are, are far, far from perfect. How many of you have ever had trouble in, in the church? Be honest. Raise your hand up. Now everybody just look around and go, I'm not the only one. Okay, yeah. You had an issue with somebody, a problem came up, there was some struggle, I, I don't know. I've been around long enough 
that I could tell some stories. But you never give up on the church. Why do you keep coming back? Because we have Jesus. Our validity is not because we're perfect people. Our validity is because Jesus is with us. Okay, so, so, so the Bible says, how many people does it take for him to be there among us? How many? Two. Okay, so if none of y'all showed up today but me and my wife did, guess what? There's two of us here. By the way, that's a good thing to think about your marriage. You want to fix your marriage, think about two people would be, and wherever the two, if you gather in his name, he's there with you, you're going to be all right. But there's a lot more than two people here, right? Is Jesus here with us? That's why you keep coming. That's why you keep coming. I, well, I've had a struggle. Okay, me too. Take a number. Go work it out. We come together because Jesus is with us. And there are going to be things that you will never learn unless you're in the church. The practical ways that you learn how to live the Christian faith relationally start here, including learning how to forgive somebody. You see that? I'm going to say that again. The practical ways that you learn how to live relationally with other people as a Christian will start in the gathering of believers, the church. And if you start to think about it that way, the church is beneficial to you on so many different levels. So Eugene Peterson, I love to read Eugene Peterson. He's passed away now. But something he said really struck me. He was talking about the church. He was actually talking about pastoring, but it had to do with the church. He said, don't get caught up in the mess, because we're messy, that you missed miracles happening. And some of y'all are so caught up in the mess, you're so blinded by the mess, you miss the good things that God is doing. And you need to stop. Your opinion is not greater than what God is up to. Now, I'm a guest. I'm leaving today. I won't be back for a little bit probably, so I'm going to say that. I can say that. It doesn't mean your opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't mean the per church is perfect. It doesn't mean there's not mistakes made. There, there are mistakes made. I've, I've made plenty. I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't have regrets, but I know I've made mistakes. I know it. When you get so caught up in what you consider a mess... You'll miss the fact that the Spirit is here with us today. And you'll miss the fact that God is doing something with us today. And you'll miss the fact that somebody's life may be changed today. And you'll miss the fact that you should be being equipped by this message so when you leave, you go take it with you to the world. You'll miss the whole thing. God is doing something. Don't get caught up in the mess that you miss it. Because the church is you, but the church is much bigger than you. When you see that big picture, you kind of go, okay. We calibrate why I'm here, why I do what I do, my perception, my perspective. Okay. Because we're to be in this together. As a matter of fact, the next slide, Nick, if you'll throw it up. You are not meant to do this alone. The Christian life is to be lived together. America is a very individualistic nation. 
Individualism runs rampant, but you don't find it in the church. We're to do this together. Okay, so there's, there's the, how many of y'all have the History Channel? Okay, so there's a show on the History Channel that I love. It's called Alone. Have you ever seen the show? Alone. Okay, I love the show Alone. Now, recently, my wife, and I, I love her, but she got rid of what we had that I had History Channel, gave me another package, and I don't have the History Channel, but I still love her anyway. So I've been missing Alone, but it's okay. I'll make it. But alone, if you don't know about the show alone, they, they take, I think, 10 contestants, and there's a list of, of tools and whatever they can have, so they get to choose, I think, 10 tools, and they take them by themselves, and they put them in this remote place where they're alone. And there's nobody around them for miles. And the first couple of seasons, they actually put them, I think it's up the coast of Canada, uh, where, where it was the highest population percentage per square mile of black bears in the world. And they don't have, like, guns and stuff, okay? But, the, but the, the thing about alone is, the whole thing is, they put you there with your 10 tools and you have nothing else, and they drop you off and say, okay, whoever stays the longest wins money. Now, <laughs> some of it's kind of, I wouldn't say funny, but some of it crap. Some of them don't last long. I mean, they're, 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 they're tapping out. But some people stay there for a while. And there's one thing that you notice if you watch the show is there some people that are very competent, they have a good shelter, uh, they're, they're acquiring enough food at least to make it, but being alone gets in their mind and they can't do it. It drives them crazy. See, we are made as relational creatures. All creatures that God made are relational, but we have a perspective of understanding it that's different. God did not make you to be alone. God did not make you to say, I'm just, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm strong enough. I'm tough enough. I got enough wits about me. He actually made the church in a way that though, yes, we are personally saved, he brings us together for a just society that learns to worship him properly together. You're not meant to do this alone. As a matter of fact, since Pentecost, the church has been gathering together in the name of Jesus. If you read through the epistles of Peter and Paul and John and, and, and the writers of our New Testament, you will find that a good chunk of the letters that they wrote were addressing relational issues in the church. As a matter of fact, they wrote those letters to organized churches. The church has been gathering together since the beginning of, of the church age. As a matter of fact, so much that the Bible says there's, there's people equipped to lead in the church. It sets up structure to how to run a church. Even deals with matters of church discipline. You will find nowhere in Christianity that says, well, you're supposed to do it alone. You're going to find it there. We are called to be together because the church is to learn to live the Jesus way together. Acts 2 says that they, they began to gather together around the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers. So though salvation is personal, it is a we, it is an us, it is together in nature. 
So the gathering of church should be a part of a healthy, life-giving rhythm of your life. And I say that unapologetically. It should be a part of a a healthy, life-giving rhythm of how you live. Now, I don't believe God's up in heaven taking your church attendance. I don't believe that if I happen to miss a Sunday morning that I have to come get saved again when I come back the next week. But yet, as a believer, you should be involving your life in things that are life-giving of who he is. So, so, so for example, you can pull your Bible out. Is this life-giving of Jesus? This needs to be a healthy part of the rhythm of your life. Prayer. Is prayer a life-giving source of relation with Jesus? Prayer needs to be a healthy part of the rhythm of your life. Fasting. Is fasting a part of something that is life-giving to you. We fast until he comes. Is it part of it? Yep, it should be a part of the healthy rhythm of your life. Worship. Well, we could talk about a lot of different stuff. Uh, there's people that would actually term these things spiritual disciplines. I don't like to use that word because it scares people off nowadays. But in other words, things that you involve in your life, they don't save you, but you do them because you're saved. You're not saved because you come to church, but you come to church because you're saved. That it's a part of the rhythm of your life in such a way that if you ever get knocked off rhythm, you know you've been knocked off rhythm. So I'm going to be really honest with you. Can I be transparent with you? You can save the gas for later. I've been pastoring for 29 years. There are some days that I actually miss reading my Bible. I know gas. Now, I hit it 98% of the time, to be honest with you. But let me tell you something. If, I, if, if something happens in my life or something crazy and I miss it for two or three days, man, I feel like my rhythm's off. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, here, I'm preaching uh, in this church today. Uh, but I'm pastoring a church in Urbana. Tomorrow, even though I was here preaching, I'm going to feel my rhythm was a little, little disconnected as I wasn't with my people today. How many know what I'm talking about? In other words, I used to say this, put it, take this for what you would, that we become addicted to things divine. You can be addicted to a lot of stuff. How about we get addicted to things divine that we know that we need? It's a life source. And we will move things around. We will change things in order to have it. In other words, I make a plan to read my Bible. I make a plan to pray. I decide that I'm coming to church long before when I wake up on Sunday morning. It's part of the healthy rhythm of your life. Because you need it. 
It's part of your formation, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're to do this together. I love the main gathering of the church just like this. I love small groups. Small groups, we break down inside and, and get to have relational conversations. If you're not part of a small group here, get in one. It's for your benefit. But the thing about the church is, it is present, it's active, it's participation. Being here, but also being here, present, it's active, and it's participation. So in other words, when you came today, I hope you shook somebody's hand, gave somebody a hug, smiled at somebody, said something nice to somebody. In other words, we, we react participation-wise relationally, the community of believers. And that solidifies that we're not doing this alone. I'm here, you're here, let's smile at each other. Now, my church does a meet and greet time after worship, right after offering, we do, or right before offering, we do a meet and greet time. And they love each other. When, I, when I'm like, hey, let's take up tithing offering, they ignore me. They're busy saying hi and talking and hugging and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, eventually, I'm just like, stop loving each other. Let's take up tithing offering. You're, you're acting too much like Christians right now. Stop. We, we, we come and the person next to you, and we're not doing this alone. We're, we're together. And then one of the most powerful things we do as a church, then we worship Together, unity in our worship. Worshiping alone is great, but worshiping as a church is wonderful. In other words, you participate. You don't just stand there and say, that's not the song I like. Hopefully next one's better. We participate in worship. We give together, as, as Ray Ray said, it's an expression of our worship because he's worthy. But we do it together. Then we get our Bibles open together. And we read the scriptures together. And you hear about it, or a small group, you talk about it, and, and, and then hopefully we're growing together. Everything we do is together. Then, then if somebody gives their life to Jesus, then we do. We celebrate together. And somebody's water baptized, and we celebrate together. And when there's needs in the church, we pray together. And when it's time for celebration, we do it together. When there's times of mourning, we do it together. We learn how to love one another. We learn how to forgive one another. We learn how to bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we're doing it together. That's what the church is. Together. Don't come to church begrudgingly. Now, David was talking about the house of the Lord. He was, he was thinking of something different, but we take it right here. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. Then we enter his courts with thanksgiving. That first song today was, there's joy where? In the house of the Lord. You know why? Because we're together. Every time... A car drives down I-75 past this parking lot on a Sunday morning, even Wednesday night, and they see a bunch of cars out there. 
That's a witness that there's still people who still believe. So much so that they will take time out of their weekend away from work and come together and do what the church does. An intentional witness to the world that we believe. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to close like this. You may be here and you're in a church today, but you may not be part of the church. Because entrance into the actual body of believers is salvation. That, that you, you come to a place where I need forgiven because my life is a little messed up. And you may have tried a whole bunch of other stuff and you realize you can't fix it. Because you can't. There's only one way that you find salvation and forgiveness. And listen, I'm talking about forgiveness. It's so amazing, it'll boggle your mind. When, when, when I first decided to give my life to the Lord, and I, by the way, I didn't do it because I love God. I did it because I realized how rotten I was. And when I, okay, I, I grew up in church, I knew enough to say, okay, Lord, forgive me. But then I really struggled with this idea that he actually forgave me. Because I would go, you mean that? Really? That? Okay, if I really believe you're there, I'm just going to say this. But that was a lot of times. And if, if you're really there, you know that. And you're going to forgive me for that? And, and to begin to understand that he takes the mess of our life and he forgives it. And cast it as far as the east is from the, the west. In other words, he forgets about it and keeps no record of it. That is absolutely amazing. Mind-boggling that he would do that. And then he makes you all brand new. And you even know it, now you're part of his body. Adopted into his family. The sons and the daughters of God. And now, you, now, now you've been made brand new. Now you have a new family. I mean, everything gets new. But you've got to come to that place where you really understand, Lord, I need you and I can't do this without you. Stop trying to live life without God. It's not going to get you anywhere. And the wonderful thing about a place like this is that you may say, well, if I, if, if, if I give my life to Jesus, I really don't know what to do. Great, we have some people that will help you. <laughs> That's okay. You may know zero about God, zero about the Bible, zero about anything about anything, but that's why the church is here, to help you. And there will be people that will come right along the side of you and say, hey, you know what? Let's do this together. I'm going to help you. I'm not perfect, but you know what? I've got something to give. Amen. So if you're here today and you say, Lord, I need forgiven. I've been playing the game. Maybe you've been on the path and you've taken the detour. And you know in your heart right now you've got to commit to him. I want to pray with you.
okay? So, so everybody, if you would stand up with me this morning, we're, we're going to do this together. And I'm not going to actually ask you to come down front. I'm not going to do any of that. But what I am going to do is, if everybody would close your eyes. In other words, let's get personal for a moment. And you would like today to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. I just, right now, I just ask you to raise your hand. Let me see. Anybody in the house? Anybody, anybody. Let me see. Anybody else? Okay, anybody else? Okay, I think I see two or three hands. Amen. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix this without you. Help me. Forgive me. And I'm going to take a crazy step right now. I believe you just did. You wiped me clean. You gave me a brand new start. Thank you. I'm saved. Now help me to live this as you want me to. I am yours. Thank you, Jesus. You're so amazing. You're so wonderful. Thank you. And I do this in your name. Amen. Let's give him a hand this morning. Now, here's what I want. Gerald, Gerald, come here. Gerald, come here. After church, we got a couple more things today. When we're done today, if you raised your hand, I didn't have you come down at service, but I want you to come down to this man right here, and he's going to take you into a next step of what needs to happen, okay? That's what Gerald's here for. And he's not going to leave until we're done today so you know right where he's at, okay? All right, so we got a couple things. Uh, there is a team headed for Pakistan tomorrow, and we want to pray for them, okay? So we're going to do that right now. And then I know uh, we would like to do something for Pastor this morning with a video or a picture or something. Ashley's going to come out and take care of that. So don't leave because it involves everybody, all right? Uh, but then after that, you're going to be free to go. So let's pray over the Pakistan trip. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is going forth. And we pray, Lord, for salvations. We pray for lives to be changed. We pray for the signs that accompany the, the gospel that goes. We pray that any hindrance of the enemy is broken, it's bound down. And we pray in the name of Jesus that people are saved and added to the kingdom, your body, on this trip. And we thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that will come back. And we thank you for the, the report of, of, of celebration that we will have as a church because of what God is going to do in Pakistan this week. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And we all say...